They don't make any more money if they sell a lot more stuff. They have to do with angry people and an angry organization. No one appreciates them in any way. At least the Rolex people feel like they're uh, in the cool area of the club, you know, like on the right side of the velvet rope. So they feel that even if there's that much there for them to do, but at least they're like in the cool area and people go to them and are extra nice to them because they want favor. No one's like very nice to the person at the swatch store, right? Like pretty pleased if you'll give it to me. Greetings and welcome to this week's A Blog to Watch Weekly. We have a full house this week. Indeed, we have a guest host. So I'll say, what should we do? We'll say hello to the guest host first. So Mr. George Bamford, guest host for the week, how are you? I am very, very good. I know you're actually lying already because I can see from the screen that you're supporting what we would normally describe in the UK. Actually, whilst the gents, Ariel, David, if I said to you someone was wearing a stooky, would you know what that meant? A sticky? A stooky. Um, no. No, okay, that's like if you break your arm and you have a plaster cast. Now, George has not quite done that, but George, <laughs> do tell us about your injury. I didn't even know what a stooky was. So, so and you, <laughs> and maybe it's a Scottish thing. It must be a Scottish thing. It's a kid's sports day. I fell over, forced uh -huh. to fall over by someone else, fractured and dislocated my shoulder and broke a tooth. You know, come off from a 50 metre run and, and, I, and I do this. You know, I cycled from Land's End to John O'Groats and nothing happened to me. <laughs> And then on my kids' sports day, this happens. Anyway, we're not here to talk about my arm, but yeah. it's ironic. Yes, you're like one of these professional footballers that falls over in the shower and ends his career. Well, yeah, almost that way. Yeah. But this is a true honour to be here. Thank you so much, Ariel, for... Um, inviting me on this is cool well we've done so much podcasting, and you're so excited by podcasting people may have heard one of the recent shows that george and i did he has a studio a podcasting studio at his place it's probably one of the coolest rooms in a place of cool rooms so we're just helping you and do what you seem to love well thank you so much yeah it's, it's always good to give the wee guys a bit of a hand up from time to time listen to ariel <laughs> <laughs> didn't you tell me that i wasn't allowed to swear on this program yes i did and that's it'd be good if you stuck to that you can understand what i was going to say back to you right then well you need like a, an alternate one like banana yeah. so every time you want to swear just say banana or i don't know pick a brand of watch you really don't like oh, and use oh. that no, no, I can't. I can't do that. Anyway, <laughs> David, how are you? Good. I'm just thinking about which brand I would pick. <laughs> you got me <laughs> Okay. Well, and, and have you decided? I will by the end of the show. I, I think that would be good. Why we'd all do that at the end of the show? I, I, I can't wait. That's like kind of the, the end of the show vibe. <laughs> well, if you're bored already, just skip to the end. Now, originally, I was going to base this show this week on the idea that I'd actually heard mentioned uh, by George. Uh, on one of his podcasts, which was who is currently the most annoyed stroke saying no the most stroke disappointed? Is it Rolex dealers saying no to all of these customers? Or is it swatch dealers saying no to all these people looking for moon swatch? But I am now going to add to that list. And I still have some doubt that this school sports day injury is a bit of a shaggy dog story. And in fact, it wasn't done being part of the crowd control at uh, G-Shock <laughs> at G-Shock London yesterday when George created his own trash of Carnaby Street. 
It was like the swinging 60s in Carnaby Street yesterday for George. He was reliving his childhood as people were queuing up for his latest release. But my question goes out to all of you. Where is the worst place to work in the AD world at the moment? Is it Rolex or is it Swatch or is it indeed G-Shock in Carnaby Street? George, seeing as you kind of posed this question in your own podcast, why don't you give us an opinion? So I posed this question and, you know, you say on my own podcast, this was uh, the about effing something. But why I was saying about this is for me, I got a first glimpse. This was my first ever glimpse of maybe surge of people coming in and trying to break into a store. I felt I feel very sorry for a Swatch retailer. You know, the people that work in Swatch stores more than any other store. It's the first time I ever felt worried. I had my kids in the store. I had my five-year-old and my uh, and my daughter in the store. We had to put them in the basement. We had to get police to escort them out of the building. And then I had to stay in the building for another two hours. Now, for me, that's something that I could not believe this. It, it, it's things you don't make up, you know, you and you can't make up. You can't kind of feel it until it happens. So we start off the day in such a beautiful way. We've you know, at the back of the queue and all those different things. I went walking through the queue and I seen, and then what happened was there was like the surge right at the beginning. And there was these people that kind of came and they're the flippers and they were pushing the door, rattling the door, trying. And it was one of those things that, you know, I'm going to say to you, if I was in a Swatch store, you know, it would be the thing that you would just go, I'm giving up. I think in a luxury environment, people aren't that way of pushing in. Swatch, you know, yes, they're saying no to a lot of people, but honestly, it's something that, you know, you haven't prepared them for. I think that's the easiest way to describe it. So who who has the worst job? Who has the worst job? I would say a Swatch person. Okay. I'm going to agree with you, actually. I'm going to agree because it's, they don't make any more money. No. If they sell a lot more stuff, they have to deal with angry people and an angry organization. <laughs> no one appreciates. <laughs> no one appreciates them in any way. At least the Rolex people feel like they're uh, in the cool area of the club. You know, like on the right side of the velvet rope. So they feel even if there's that much there for them to do, but they're, at least they're like in the cool area, and people go to them and are extra nice to them because they want favor. No one's like very nice to the person at the swatch store, right? Like pretty please if you'll give it to me. Yeah, you're right. G-Shock seems just to be the most chill because you get yeah. the most variety of people. Oftentimes people that aren't like sort of nerds that are like looking for flippers, just fun people that want to wear the stuff. That That's what I say. Yeah, I agree. I agree. David, what's your thoughts? Where would you rather work? It, it, it largely depends on what you expect out of your job. I mean, if you are, um, you know, a warden or a room security person in a museum and then you go work in a Rolex boutique, you'll feel no difference, right? You're just walking around cabinets with things <laughs> uh, for uh, exhibition purposes only. <laughs> it's just the same thing. If you want to be the salesperson of the year, then, you know, you, you, you'd better pick uh, another brand. So you think the qualification for being a member of staff in a Rolex AD should be equivalent to working in the British Museum? We're going to start calling them Rolex docents. They're docents. They're not salespeople. They're just docents. They don't really do too much. They <laughs> yeah. dress up. They smile. They tell you to stand back when you're too close to the glass. That's basically all they do. <laughs> well, as well as all of that grief that's been going on, and Moonswatch seems to be never-ending in the stories that are coming out and the continuing hassle of people. I mean, again, walking past and seeing pictures from still any Swatch store and all it is is folk going in 
asking about Moonswatch. A lot of people have reviewed this story on the basis of, is it a good thing or a bad thing? Is it genius marketing or is it just, this is nonsense? I think everybody probably has leaned on the, this is fairly genius marketing, but I wonder whether it's now starting to turn. And I do wonder whether, despite the reports that it's increasing sales of actual Omega Speedmasters, whether the danger is that this real Speedmaster eventually gets seen as a really expensive Moonswatch, rather than the Moonswatch being an entry-level homage plastic i'm not worried about that speedmaster you're not worried nah nothing worries you i mean look it took the speedmaster how many decades to get popular you think a couple of weeks of being uh popular is gonna is gonna dethrone that and put the plastic version atop no i mean these things take forever and the problem with the swatch version as everyone knows is it's so fragile it starts to wear immediately i mean (laughs) The whole point is having a watch that you can wear for years and years and years and years. But if it starts to look yeah. bad in a couple of months, it's not going to happen. David, how is your moon swatch? Scratchy and uh, just getting ever more scratchier. You know, it's just... <laughs> oh, wow. It was scratched when it was in the box. Like, like new in box, it was already beaten up. And I, I could see, like, I could find people posting online that, you know, it's it's so soft that basically the box it comes uh, inside can damage it. Like the crystal, you look at it, you know, too sharply and then, you know, it just starts getting scratched. Remember with the Apple iPad was like they were so fragile anything would scratch a thing like if you didn't put it in a protective case right away it would start to blemish like immediately (laughs) yeah you know they call it bioceramic but don't you have to fire ceramic you know isn't the idea of this kind of ceramic is meant to be quite strong it's more bio than ceramic okay it's (laughs) it's compost no but you look at iwc you look at what they they do on their ceramic watches and you know they fire them they do all the things i keep on looking at all their videos and i'm i'm kind of like going this is kind of amazing i almost feel like and why i'm bringing up iwc is i feel like kurt klaus if he looked at this bio ceramic swatch what would he think would he be you know because i would love his videos of when he goes into the apple store and kind of looks at a digital watch and says oh i can do this <laughs> could you imagine what he would say about the omega swatch let's talk about the bioceramic thing it's a combination of castor oil plastic which is where the bio part comes from because it's a plant-based plastic and the ceramic part is there are you know bits and pieces of the uh, zirconium oxide in there it is baked that's how it's formed and then it's cut and molded. Something which is sort of more pure ceramic is going to be, you know, all zirconium oxide or zirconium dioxide. And that's a very hard material, George. So that's not going to scratch. But as David said, plastic, as we know, is, you know, not as scratch resistant. So a lot of the, the ceramic part has to do with the color, you know, a little bit more durability than sheer plastic. But I don't think that it's it's correct to say that bioceramic is particularly durable, not as much as metal. It's just when, you know, I kept on geeking out on these IWC of videos of of their ceramic being made and all those different things and i thought you know and then when you google about ceramic it's always about being fired properly at high temperatures and things like that that's why i was kind of like okay and it's that idea of this durability yeah yeah, it's marketing but iwc ironically has some of the least durable ceramics uh, the finishes they do blemish i just i geek out <laughs> on the uh, on the videos i'm just like i keep the on videos watching. are cool the science gets a little bit a little bit less exciting i step back from this precipice <laughs> other news is chronext and this touches i suppose on 
what we've just talked about, about the popularities of sun brands, but also on last week's show and a couple of weeks ago's show, in fact, probably most of the shows we've done in the last four weeks about what's happening in the secondary market. And Cronext, uh, as reported by a friend of the show, Rob Corder from Watch Pro, have laid off quite a number of their staff, citing the complete downturn in the market for effectively selling watches above retail. Is our sympathy growing any further now that there are actual casualties in this particular story? No, but I'll let someone else talk first. Do you know when you sent me sent me the show notes and you said, hey, look, this is what we're going to talk about. I the, There's one, I, I hate when someone's leaving the industry um, or moving on from different businesses. And that for me is one of the, the, the sad things. I don't like flippers to a degree chronex leaving or moving uh or downturning on on the market i don't know if everything is true and that's my only question is there is still a demand out there you know there's still the demand out there maybe they're not making 20x they're you know they're having to reduce down their x but i i don't know that's my my kind of 10 cents on it because i i don't know enough I always find that I buy a watch and thinking, great, I'm going to make an absolute fortune on this. And then I come to sell it in the market and I never make a fortune. So it's kind of one of those things that I always get screwed some way. So I, I'm kind of the worst person to say about selling a watch. I mean, like where I would say, you know, if, if anyone's made good money on trainers, watches or any of those things, I'm like going, hats off to you. I, I look at buying a watch because I love the watch. And I think that's the easiest way of doing it. But on these websites, you know, I, I do search on quite a few different websites and Ariel, you and I have a bit of a kind of geek off on eBay at the moment. And it's one of those things where we just spend time kind of geeking about kind of where to buy something that's cool. And I, I always love the the odd and the cool, weird discoveries. I think that that's probably my way of kind of moving on from the Chronex because I, I, I'm kind of a bit, I'm sad that people are leaving or sad that people are getting fired or losing their jobs because that for me is always a sad statement uh, when things are moving that way george you're right it is sad but i think that people need a little bit more context as to exactly what happened and and what chronext is this company downsizing right now is not an indicator of how well the watch market is doing i think that's very yeah. important to say this isn't like oh watches aren't selling uh you know we gotta we gotta shut down shop no this is a company that was involved in buying used watches and then reselling them. And it was built up with investor money. So yeah. they went out and they told a bunch of people, give us all these millions of dollars so we can hire all these people. And what they're going to do all day is buy watches and sell them back. What they recognized is that, uh-oh, people don't actually want that. In fact, people want the good price on watches, not the worst yeah. price on watches. And so <laughs> the, the problem is that this is a business model which they convinced a lot of people was a good idea when ultimately all it did was prey upon people that like watches because what it does is it asks people to spend a lot more money on the exact same product. It doesn't add value. It's simply parasitic. And likewise, the community has rejected it, saying we don't want to support this. This company doesn't have a reason to exist. People, the demand for watches is high. People are buying watches. People are yeah. trading watches a lot, but they need companies that add value. Don't just take it away. But the thing is, they're pushing out. They were very much saying, hey, you know, the market's not there. And you're totally right. The, their marketing on themselves is not 
not the best way. Uh, you know, they're saying, oh, you know, it's it's not the the market is going against us. Well, it's not. The you know, people want to buy a watch. They want to buy a watch. The market they're talking about was a market where the stock market itself and other equities markets were not exciting and people were buying alternative assets, unregulated things from cars to art to wine to watches. And in that sort of like weird bubble, people were buying watches not because it's a watch, because they think it's an investment that can go up. That's silly and unsustainable. And companies like Chronex and others tried to perpetuate this myth that wa- that enjoying watches is like horse racing, which it's not. I mean, is the likes of, to go back to our previous conversation, the likes of Moonswatch, the likes of your G-Shock, George, that are, they're not, it's not pocket money, but in comparison to Rolex and IWC, is a pocket money purchase. Is part of what is driving the demand at that level just the desire for people to want to buy something new that is a watch, but not spend a lot of money, but still possibly have the ability to make their money back or flip it. Effectively, is the flipping going down the tree to match those kind of people that would flip trainers, which are three, four, five hundred pounds to buy into, because these watches are three, four, five hundred pounds to buy into? I, I think there's two sides to it. One of them is I think there is a lot of theft happening on people's wrists of of serious watches. Ariel, you've reported about this a lot. We've all reported about it. We've got friends that have had their watches stolen. We've, uh, throughout Europe, David, you know, there has been quite a few different places that uh, serious watches and serious watch collectors have had some serious watches being taken. That's one side of it. And there is the cool factor. And what I mean cool factor is, the nostalgic factor, old school G-Shock. You know, there's a reason why I chose an old old school G-Shock because it reminded me of my childhood. It reminded me when I was 18, I had a yellow one of these G-Shocks and I loved it. I kept on pressing that G and that's why I did this. I, I was like, I want this on my wrist because I, I did that. But then there is also, you were, you were talking about the flippers. You know, I think Omega Swatch has opened up a floodgate and it, it really has opened up a floodgate that really isn't as nice as I thought it was going to be. And I was talking to Adrian Barker from Barker Jack and I, as we were chatting about him, he used to work at Apple and he said right at the beginning of when he worked at Apple, when they had launches, you would have proper geeks that love technology. And then he said, it flipped and, you know, he said those, when we had launched a new product, we used to love it. We used to go with this is amazing. And then, and he said it changed that these flippers came in and he said, we used to hate launch days. We just, if you were working for Apple, you would hate launch day because he said there would be people that would just push and push and push. And he said, you know, and they'd want 10 and they'd be like, use intimidation and all these things. And for me, that's something that Omega Swatch has done is it's it's alerted people to flipping these lower price watches and seeing big margins. You know, they've kind of almost weaponized these launches in such an odd way. You know, when we launched the last G-Shock, I went to store. There was 100 people around the block and they were people that loved the watch. There was now 350 people at the at the launch this week. And the back lot of people were, were people that loved the watch. 
And right at the big front, no one knew who we, who I was. Well, firstly, sometimes I don't know who I am. But the other thing is, <laughs> there was no one, you know, at the back, everyone wanted a selfie. They want, uh, you know, I had some stickers. I gave out stickers to people. I was like, you know, I, and I really, and then at the front, there was this mass amount of people that were pushing all of these guys that had waited overnight and moved them back. So, you know, people that were positioned three, four, five, will move back. Now, for me, that that is regrettable. It is sad. It's depressing. But also, what I would say to you is, I should have learned. And that's something that, for me as a person on this, and, you know, I'm sorry to get on to this. I'm, I'm kind of doing a, a an apology, but I am, I'm also kind of coming back to you on, on this idea of, of Cronex and, and the whole thing of flipping. Because I think to myself is, this was something that was a sad state of affairs that something like the Omega Swatch has now changed from this wonderful, beautiful community to something that's now, you know, a flipping community. And I think that's something that, uh, yes, you can make money out of watches, but really, I mean, Ariel, you and I constantly say this when we're going on a discovery of uh, the weird and wonderful watch, you know, you kind of want to find these kind of things that are little nuggets. And, and if it goes up, you go, yes, but if, it, if it's on your wrist and you smile about it, then that's awesome. But I just hated what happened at this, the, the event because the people that loved to buy the watch and wear it, I mean, in the queue, there was people that had the old G-Shock on their wrist and it was just like anyway it was sad it was one of those sad things and you know sad that you know i thought it was going to be a family affair day with my kids helping out you know at the beginning they were put, bringing up the boxes of the watches and bringing them up to, upstairs and all these different things to my daughter and my son being scared down in the basement now that for me was kind of one of the things where i went this it, it's it, it something's changed yeah no, it's horrific and horrible, and it's a horrible, without wishing to get too deep, it's a horrible reflection of some things going on in society. And It's 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 odd, but why I'm saying to you is these flipping, uh, the flippers, like let's say Cronex and all these things, there is a, I think sometimes, you know, you, uh, David, you talked about Chrono24. I love going on eBay Chrono24 to look up and look up pricing. I look up watches, I do a discovery on them because I think that is one great thing about the internet is it's across everything. So you you look at pricing, you look at what's happening and you go, yeah, actually this is a, this for me is kind of almost a gauge. Oh, absolutely. Let's actually review some watches. Hmm. So yeah, the MBNF Med 1 is the first MBNF. Oh, wait, 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 whoa, wait, whoa, wait, wait a minute. It, whoa, 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 it's not an MBF. That's let's what I was going to let's get just, to. Let's just get this straight. Let's just get this straight. I'm not having this it just because you wrote not, the article. It does not say MBNF <laughs> anywhere on it. That's that's very true. Uh-huh. It does say mad, yeah. but no one's mad <laughs> that it doesn't say MBNF on it. You know, so that's a, yeah. that's a funny thing. It does say Maximilian <laughs> Busser on it, Um, uh-huh. you know, which is what, you know, MB stands for in the name. It's the first watch by Max Busser uh, that has or actually had a four-figure price tag attached to it before it skyrocketed and it became like, you know, 14, 15, you know, $20,000 watch. As far as resale was concerned, they made some of, you know, a few of these, maybe like a, I, I don't want to guess how many they've made, but I know that they actually had to do this um, 
uh, lottery, you know, the people had to enter if they wanted a chance to be able to buy the watch at full retail. So the funny thing is we've actually come to a point where if you win a lottery, you win the privilege to be able to buy something at full price. Can you imagine, uh, you know, like a 90s TV show <laughs> where people would enter <laughs> and if they, they would get, get lucky, you know, they would be allowed to make a purchase. I think that's that's kind of twisted. But at the same time, it was, a, you know, I, I found it to be a balanced and, and, and a fair way of trying to address the situation that are, that aroused from this from this launch and all this interest so they handled it well i thought yes the prices went through the roof but it's a great look uh, great little watch and in the article i discuss whether it's a good watch for two thousand nine hundred dollars and if it's a good watch for 15 grand Ooh. and your conclusion yeah the conclusion is that it's a great watch for three grand and you know what i would always say is that you know it depends on on your expectations and if you are happy with it after having spent 15 grand on it then more power to you but i feel like there's a reason why it's priced at fifteen thousand dollars and not at three on resale now do we know how many of these have been produced you know i would hazard a guess of around a few thousand maybe two thousand maybe a few more but i i really don't know really don't know so don't quote me on that i slightly feel like he should have done more because you know people want want it they do say on the website that there's a new batch coming at the end of the year full disclosure i entered the lottery sadly didn't win because i wanted the watch i do think this is that that swatch omega vibe because it's something that you know high-end luxury watch brand to do something at this price point it's freaking cool. I mean, you you've said it in the in the article in this way is about hype and not hype. I just think for myself, this is a freaking cool watch. Thanks, guys, for your thoughts on it. I mean, you know, Max did such a great job creating a talking piece and a story around it, and it's undoubtedly been a success. And it is fun. It's simple though. You know, it's a very simple concept. Um, he's still making you know a good amount of money, even though the low production. And he's had this idea for many years. He hasn't. He did launch it right away. He was trying to figure out the right way. So for me, the interesting thing is to see Max watching basically ever since Seven Friday came around. I think he'd been thinking about doing this and he hasn't figured out how to do it in a way that has some of the same hype and the fun and the demand of maybe an MBNF. And he'd been looking and looking and looking and he just waited, you know, for a long time. And until he found this notion where you could sell it online and really limit it and, and gamify even getting the chance to have one mm. it's not about the price it's it's access and he this is all a planned out study and creating the right amount of insecurity and the right amount of fear of missing out and the right amount of glitz and glam like this is a very studied approach to all this and academically it's fascinating from the side i'm amused getting a view of seeing people like entering the lottery and then being upset when they don't win i mean you're not supposed to be upset when you don't win the lottery because the chances of you winning are so tiny oh yeah you know what i mean so it's it's just funny how people play right into the psychology that max is is banking on but do you think that now that he's got twenty five thousand names from the lottery that all that will happen is he'll keep working through the twenty five thousand names if he's done two thousand that's six million dollars worth just now there's no reason why he can't just keep going. Well, he's going to have to because these have to be built in batches. And if you build them too fast, then, you know, people don't necessarily want them. You flood the market. So I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. And yes, this is this is some of the ways that people sell. I think what's important is that this is seen as a success story, but this is a highly engineered launch strategy and plan it's not something that most companies can sort of you know 
put on repeat and replicate. So success stories today still require a lot of novelty, a lot of chance, a lot of shock value. The second or third time you try to do it, it doesn't necessarily work. So I wouldn't say that these are business models. They're demonstrating what can be done with a market that you know hasn't been flooded yet but once everybody has a FOMO watch nobody cares anymore so yeah go and check out the article and also I, I should know David I don't know if you've read the comment section of this article I've checked it after publishing but not like the last number of days yeah so uh, you get a bit of a kicking in it for using the phrase pull the trigger yeah I saw so that you, you're officially banned from using kind of standard watch things so pull the trigger mm. and uh, disrupting the industry and all of these things are banned yeah so if you if you would like to go and <laughs> roast David in his own article <laughs> then you can go to the comments thank section. you for the invite Rick thank you <laughs> good stuff sorry David but I'm really gonna have to roast you a little bit razzmatazz yeah <laughs> That just sounds like a, I don't know, a, a, a porn name. So. <laughs> well, well you, you'll never know where I got that from. <laughs> okay, now, now I understand. Isn't that one of the MBNF watches, though, of the HMLs, HM4s? Wasn't there Razzmatazz? The Razzmatazz. <laughs> there actually was a watch name like that. Huh, yeah, that's actually... Okay, thanks, right. th th Ariel. Ariel, you, Thank you Ariel. come back <laughs> with a little sway, that sucker punch. I'm like, thanks, thanks Whew. for that. George had a whole sketch there planned, a whole line yeah. of joking, a whole, I'm going to get a laugh at the end of this, and Ariel ruined uh, it with Ariel some just, facts. just saved my It's all it, it, right. Ariel's bringing out his legal terminology, and uh, I'm now just kind of back in my box. Thank, thank, thanks, Ariel. Love you too, man. Thanks for saving my resume. It had tiny it. little <laughs> pinup art on the side yeah. of the watch. You remember, you remember. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm digging my own kind of coffin here. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like I'm done. Okay. Good stuff. I'll go check out the article on a blog to watch.com. Isn't it amazing that that Maurice Lacroix and the Shinola came out within, they're actually articles right next to each other. It wasn't planned, but they had the same color schemes yeah. that are so uncommon. That kind of like orange and baby blue. <laughs> like, what are the odds? What are the odds? You, you say that, but then you look at golf racing colors, and it is the, it's the golf racing colors. No, I, I'm not saying it's That's completely true. original. I just think it's hilarious that two of these were published right next to one another, it like completely randomly. I feel very sorry for him because I think this watch, if it hadn't come out at the time of the Moon Swatch, I think everyone would be like, wow, this is, you know, it's a real kind of bold move by Maurice Lacroix. It's a cool move. It's boom, boom, boom. You know, I think that people would have come out in a different way about it. I feel a little bit sad for Maurice Lacroix on this because, you know, it, it, it's almost like when you go to Watches and Wonders, and there is like the big boys get all the attention and and kind of like some of the smaller brands that do some cool things just disappear in the noise. So yeah, Morris Lacroix, it did come out the original Tide the same week. I think it maybe came out in the Monday and the Moonswatch hit the Wednesday possibly. My question about this, I mean, we've reviewed the Tide, we've spoken about it on the show before. It's a great concept. It's a good looking watch. It's a classic style case from Morris Lacroix. What's interesting about this is, you know, this is based on their icon, but unlike Moon Swatch, that is based on the Moon Watch, which has some very classic stuff, they've been able with this limited release with Benzilla to actually take it in a different direction. Whereas one of the challenging things for Moon Swatch is it's all very successful now, but what do they do next? So Maurice Lacroix next, I said, well, here we go. We're handing this over to an artist. 
can we expect Swatch to suddenly be saying to Banksy, there you go, Banksy boy, give us a give us a Banksy image in one of these? Or is this just showing that actually Morsequa have a plan for this going forward, whereas maybe Moonswatch was a bit of a, a shot in the dark? It certainly seems to have been from what I've been hearing about how the press were co- effectively consulted about what to do with this. Does Morsequa reflect something that may last the pace with this tide? This stuff is going to keep coming. We're going to see more and more art on watches of all types. People like George Bamford and and many others have helped popularize pop culture as a literal art. I've been ever since things like this started, you know, I've been talking about them saying that there's a there's a really good connection between pop culture relevancy and and, and timekeeping. So, we're going to be seeing at least 10 years of ex- experimentation between what the watches look like, who the artists are, many will be failures but from an evolutionary standpoint it's going to be nothing but fascinating stuff and two decades from now we'll be able to have another conversation looking at some of the weird leftover things and find one of these for 50 bucks on ebay and be like oh remember this crazy thing and so i'm happy this stuff comes out because it gives our industry some fodder for the future because there was like a 10-year period of time where most of the brands in our space were doing nothing interesting and they were like depriving themselves of the future in the future. You obviously get very expensive watches where artists have been involved. Is this really the future that here's a kind of entry-level few hundred dollars there's a famous artist involved for those who are interested in his particular work. So actually it does make it collectible. It does make it possible for the average person to collect them all in a Pokemon type style. Whereas if this was a enameled dial version of what this guy has done on some Patek, then you know three people in the world could afford it. Whereas getting involved with this with Maurice Lacroix actually does make it proper pop culture you know i'm i'm gonna say and ariel you you said it perfectly right is this is the ascendance of this artist and watch collaboration you look at you know you we've already you've just said about an expensive watch you know you think of hublot with the uh, um, morikami it is the most craziest watch but actually it's an artist's watch and i think when you come to something like this we have to have on every side of the spectrum you know the different price points and i i think it is you know ariel i i I, until you said it i didn't realize that this ascendance is happening and more and more watch brands are doing stuff you think of even the zenith that one that went for auction it went for fortune but it was something that was high-end watchmaking with an artist so i do see this real ascendance happening more and more is this just the end point? I mean, you you know it from your own uh, business, George. You've put cartoon characters on watch faces for some yeah. of your collection. Is this really where that naturally goes? It goes from having the kind of cartoon characters, you know, the Snoopy, the, the Peanuts, yeah. the whatever, to actually pieces of art but that are still available. This one's $825, for example. Yeah, I I, I think, look, I love the character watches um, and I love that character watches have been been through history. So, you know, that's something why I've always done character watches. I think art watches, we've worked with some great artists and, you know, maybe this year I'm, I'm working with another really great artist. But what I would say to you is when I look at art watches, they have to make you smile. You have to put it on your wrist and go, look, down on this and go 
this makes me smile. It also makes me different. I mean, Ariel, we've always debated this. We've always chatted about not being boring with your watch, not, be, you know, and that's what is great is the watches that are highlighted on a blog to watch are sometimes you have to do the mainstream, but other times you highlight the independence, the brands that come out of the woodworks and see something awesome. And you put it, put something like that on your wrist and people are going to talk about it. I know if I see someone wearing this watch in an event, let's say if it's a, a, a meetup event, I'm going to go and chat to this person and, and I want to know why he brought it. I also want to know how does it feel on the wrist and, you know, where does, else does he wear it? So I think that's the great thing about this. For $825, Jesus Christ, you, you're getting something that really can step against a, even a Patek and everyone else goes, I want to see that. Yeah, I mean, this presumably does have, David, the kind of moon swatch uh, effect going into meetup, just like you wearing yours in Watches and Wonders yeah. while supporting $30,000 Ulysses Nardan yeah. in carbon and gold on the other wrist and people being more interested in the moon swatch. Big time. Yeah, exactly. I feel like, you know, this also raises the question whether, you know, more watches should be, shouldn't more watches be, you know, more artsy and more interesting? Aren't we at a point where boring watches should be like, I don't know, 10%, 20% of all the all the watches available as opposed to like 90%. What, why is it that they are so rare still? Yeah, I mean, you see it on Instagram, you see people posting collections of what they've got in their watch box. And if you stood like 10 feet away from it, you go, all of those watches look the same. They're all dive watches with a black bezel on them. There might be some color. Whereas actually, you know, and, and how do you really decide that you're going to wear your Rolex of Mariner one day or your Black Bay 58, they basically look the same and do the same thing. Come at me in the comment section. Whereas if you have a collection of things like a Morris Lacroix, a Moon Swatch, a Bamford, some gold G-Shock, you've got something that's actually different. You've put something on and you feel this is a different watch I'm wearing today rather than just another variation of a dive watch or a Flieger or a field watch. I think there's also a misconception that we should address, and and that is that you know I believe I you know this is not representative, but I feel like there people expect the fact that expect to experience that if they have a more expensive or rarer watch with that like not the gray dial but the blue dial or the black dial or whatever for like thirty five thousand dollars or fifty thousand dollars you know that watch will be ever more popular and more recognized and you know in watch enthusiast circles but that's just not not true i mean obviously we are surrounded by like really experienced you know watch enthusiast people whenever we go to these events etc but the fact of the matter is that you can wear an 850 dollar watch and you have more people come up to you and, and yes. be more open and have better discussions so you don't have to think that oh i should get something conservative for if i only and I, you know, I, I, I put it, I know that that's still a lot of money, but I only have like a thousand dollars to spend, spend on a watch, get what you like and you will, you will experience and you will see that other people gravitate towards you because if, if it's an, uh, uh, an interesting watch. Great stuff. Well, you can go and check out the article uh, penned by Ripley on a blog to watch.com. Okay. So this week, the article, which has gotten the most attention in the comment section is this new watch from Shinola. And I'll start by quoting from, I think it's Makita uh, in the comment section. So if you want to get quoted in the show, then, you know, leave a funny comment in the comments or in the show notes that come out on Friday. 
comment is simply this. Circle in square is like ice cream with bacon. Discuss. <laughs> Look, this is what I need to say to people. Don't base your buying decisions on what people say in comments. Comments are where people who like watches need something to talk about. I, I met with Shinola. I wore this watch. It's, in a very basic sense, their version of a Monaco. If you like the Monaco, you're going to like this thing. It's, basically, it's really that simple. It's a little bit different. It's fun. It's a much higher quality Shinola than most people are sort of accustomed to. It's not cheap. It's 3500 bucks, but it's, you know, I think about half the price of a of a Monaco these days. It's not racing themed, it's boating themed, uh, and the colors are very, very fun. But this is a perfect example of a shape that doesn't look as good in pictures as it looks in person. And I just need to remind people, like, if you're going to be making judgments on watches, look at them online and in person. Don't make a judgment before you've done both. Um, That's as told. Ariel, Ariel, I just wanted (laughs) to ask you, um, because I have actually been doing a hell of a lot of kind of like looking at this watch. What's the case uh, side of it? What's the depth of it? Because, it, you know, on images, it, it looks it it looks very, as you, you describe it, Monaco-esque. What's the depth like on your wrist? How does it wear? It's about as thick as a Monaco, maybe a little bit thicker, not too much okay. more. But as you can see, the case kind of tapers. Yeah. So it's not like this blocky geometric square, but similar to the Monaco. There's a lot of rounding and curvature within the overall square proportions, which gives it a much softer, more approachable feel to it. Uh, Ariel, g- give us a bit of background on Shinoa, because there'll be a number of people whereby Shinoa is a name they know of. They have some vague memory that there was some controversy a few years ago, but oh, wow. probably they haven't seen it featured on watch blogs very much. I so, can't... You, so you're going there. Okay, I, I, okay yeah. you're going there. Briefly, oh, briefly. Bit, bit, of hist- bit of history. Oh, bit of history. Ariel. <laughs> We're going to have to do a whole show on this. Look, there's a lot to say about this, but um, I think this is a good way of saying it. Shinola is now moving forward, increasingly going to compete in a higher-end space, whereas it was mostly a $1,000 and under watch and a lot of quartz. Now they're doing a lot more mechanical, and like like I said, this is at 3500 bucks. This is far more than your average Shinola. This is not going to be their average price point. This is a little bit higher end, but you're starting to see them compete with Zodiac, especially. There's going to be a lot of Zodiac competition. That's also a family thing between <laughs> the founder of Shinola and his brother <laughs> Ed Fossil, so that's a whole other uh, story. Um, <laughs> but Tag Heuer a little bit, of course. You know, some of the, uh, you know, the stuff from uh, Switzerland and like sort of Tissot range and Hamilton, stuff like that. You're just going to see more and more of that. But with really strong designs, there is a new creative director uh, over there, a guy named Brandon Little, who actually ironically was the person that relaunched the Zodiac as we know it right now. So it's a lot of storytelling and a lot of same personalities and rivalries. I mean, like there's an interesting story here with what Shinola might be doing. I say just sort of wait and see, and if you haven't been paying attention to them, it might be a time to start with some of the new stuff they're coming out with. Couldn't it just be the same one guy with different aliases? <laughs> it's a funny little small incestuous world over here in the American watch industry. Yeah, are any of you familiar with the TV show Yellowstone? Yeah. Or or Succession? Does this need a soap opera made about it? The Zodiac Sonoma. <laughs> you know, the, you know the the rivals of the of the rich personalities in the watch industry. And and George, I need you to comment here. Deserves some soap <laughs> opera. 
some show about the rivalries of the brand owners, some of the collectors, some of the financiers. Like, like there's no other industry I know that has bigger personalities that can be in a room. I feel a spending time miniseries coming on. Ariel, I do think a, a full movie, uh, HBO style movie on this would be freaking amazing. Yeah, you're you're totally <laughs> right? right. There is some gods in the watch world. There is some amazing individuals. There's also, as you said, the financiers. <laughs> But also, you know, the power of these watches over uh, uh, and the power of the watch brands. If you're in the top echelon of the watch brands, the power they have over the richest people in the world. You know, these people will fawn on, you know, champagnes coming from the from the rooftops and things like that for can I get a such and such watch? And think of Richard Miller right now. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's what I was kind of thinking about is, you know, I'm sure he's invited to every party on, on under the sun because someone wants to get one of the watches. But you're right. I think I think the movie is one of those things that I can't let's, wait. Let's, I think Ariel's going to write it. We need the writer. We need the writer. Ariel, you could write it. You you. Oh, that's I, very nice of you. I think I think between the four of us, we could rustle up some uh, some storylines. We're basically HBO quality. Well, yeah, exactly. Or, or, or should we talk yeah. to Netflix? Oh, no, they, they, they haven't got the budget at the moment. But, you know, should yeah, we talk no, no. to someone else? It's HBO or Bus. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> right, okay. Come on. Uh, I, I think the, I think there's some uh, some minor channels in the BBC that would handle this more as a documentary. I think you're being very English or, 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 or very... Wait, oh, hold, hold on, hold on. Did you just say, I think you're being very English to a guy from Glasgow? Uh-oh. I purposely said that. <laughs> It's, it's happening. <laughs> you, you, you mentioned the BBC. I mean, like, come on. Don't forget good who stuff, owns you. Oh, my. Uh, we're not going there. Look, get back in your box. <laughs> right. Okay. You can go and check out the Shinoa and leave some more comments on what you think about it on the original article. Or, as I say, when you see the show notes for this show come out, leave some thoughts there and we will pick them up for next week's show. Okay, now we only have time to review one more watch and it's a choice between the Tissot 35mm that's come out, the Dave review, and some watch with Bamford and G-Shock written on it. Wh- which one do you think we should do, guys? I think the Tissot. Yeah, I think I agree. <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> but there is a new Bamford G-Shock watch. So yeah. just just so you know, the second one is about to come out. Yeah. So we'll we'll, we'll review the watch itself next time, but we'll let George speak to it, uh, briefly in a moment about what's about to happen. Seeing as he is uh, recover once now that he's recovered from doing crowd control oh. at the original Carnaby Street launch. So let's just fire in quickly to this Tissot, and I'll actually, although Ariel hates it, I'll start from the comment section again. Mark Carson. Maybe it's just me, but isn't the Genta Bend shape case on way too many watches and just becoming a phoned it in case design these days? Is there just too much of the integrated steel Genta E type thing? Every time they're just the, the same again. Every time there appears to be something which sells in the market, the watch industry responds by immediately making more than the market wants. Okay, this is just the way it's been for, I don't know, 50, 60, 80 years. Exactly. So, look, the good news is that the the PRX collection is a good value. And if you're looking for this type of thing from a trusted brand at a really fair price point, it's the way to go. Guys like us, we're, we're tired of it by now. 
But the demographic mm-hmm. that Tisa is trying to reach is just getting really excited by it, right? We were never meant to be the buyers for this type of watch. But it's important for us to say to all the other people out there, you don't need to get a modified Casio that looks like a, you know, a Royal Oak. Get something a little bit more sensible like one of these, and you'll be happy. You'll have the look in your collection. And if you really like it in the future, maybe you can get you know, like a, a Royal Oak or something more expensive like that. So it's a very fair and honest way of enjoying the look for the everyday watch lover. And, and I think it needs to be celebrated for that. Now, David, you wrote this article. And one of the reasons I think you probably went into 35 mil was the number of folk that viewed the larger watch, but thought that it maybe for a, it didn't sit very well in terms of wrist size. Your experience of this watch actually wearing it, is this the right size for this watch at 35 mil, which to many people will seem and sound too small. Yeah, the funny thing is that I didn't see this watch. It was uh, it was photographed by Ariel uh, and just about you know 10,000 kilometers away from me. So I'm, <laughs> that's the closest <laughs> I've been to the 35. <laughs> but you know, logic dictates that people wanted a smaller one, and now they got it. And uh, it is true that the larger one, which I handled, the 40 millimeter, is you know is is a little bit tall or long, however you want to put it, and extends beyond the edge of your wrist and it just looks kind of odd so the 35 actually wears more like a 37 38 something like that it, it doesn't look as petite or wear as petite as the 35 would suggest yeah i'm just seeing the wrist hair on the pictures now and recognizing that as ariel's and oh, yeah. yours so yeah ariel if you were to buy one would it be the 35 mil rather than the 40 i think i would still go with the 40 the 35 is actually a very decent size for a suit or something like that if you're sort of a more petite guy wear long sleeves a lot the 35 ain't bad especially in gold it, it, it is cool but the 40 for me just has more of the wrist presence that i'm looking for so i'm almost always going to choose the larger version if that's an option george your thoughts on just the way that brands are producing genta-esque style watches but at such a low price point this one, which is a quartz powered, is in at a few hundred dollars. For me, the finesse of an integrated bracelet, you know, that's something that I think is amazing. And especially at this price point, I, I looked at this article and I, and I was just like, how are they doing it for that price? I think it, I think it's really good. And the gold plated one is the thing that I don't like, but that's me talking my personal thing. Cause I think if it's gold, do gold, don't plate it. But then back in the seventies and eighties, they plated a lot of stuff. So maybe that's the reason why they've done it. I, I look at this watch and I think, I, I like it. I love integrated bracelets because I think there is such a design way of doing it. You know, we reference Genta. I mean, Genta was the best person at this, I believe, because I think he was the, you know, we, we're now seeing all the legacies of him. I, you know, I can't wait for other brands to pick up some of his old designs of integrated bracelets and bring them back out again because you know this is one thing but you know this is very reminiscent of other brands that are not a gentle you know gentle design for me so I, I I'm kind of like you know the reference to gentle I think is really good but I think it's more the reference of the integrated bracelet cool well go and check out that article on a blog to watch Okay, we're finally there. George, you managed to crash Carnaby Street yesterday. And as we're recording this, it's currently 8.37 and your new watch with uh, Bamford and G-Shock is going to go... Is it going live on the internet at 10 o'clock this morning? 10 o'clock this morning. 
So we can expect Down Detector to be doing its thing across the internet. <sighs> Have you bought some more bandwidth? What What's the worst case scenario? And then apologise for that. And at least that means that when this goes out on Thursday or Friday, you'll have apologised okay, in advance. I, 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 I've got to apologise, firstly, for everyone that turned up to the event. It was a hot day and everyone um, that turned up to the event that really love love watches and love what we do and they missed out on getting the watch i hope that quite a few of you got the um watch from online as soon as i finish this um podcast i am going to be packaging up people's watches i'll put a few little presents in some of those some stickers and some other things because i really want to say thank you so much for supporting us if you've missed it online it is going worldwide at kith and dover street and online g-shock worldwide i think coming first of august um, because we've had to re-strategize and we've had to kind of uh, put in some more retail experiences and more online experiences because i didn't want people to miss out this is a limited run do not ask me how many are produced because i'm still trying to pull it out of cassia but they won't tell me but i i and they won't <laughs> This is the really, I, I mean, I'm trying to figure out, but, and also it's I am. hilarious. It's nuts. It is nuts. Here you go, Cassio. Let me help you make all of this money and then not tell me how many you're actually making. I know, making. I know. And people will comment of like, why, what, you know, you should know. And the thing is, there's a way that I make some money out of it. Not huge, but I make some money out of it, but it's not on retail so so that's the mm -hmm. thing so they don't need to tell me now why i'm saying yeah. this is i know it's a limited run because that's how how they'll rock on this it's not like the omega swatch where it's open end this is going to be stopping when it's sold out i'm sad that people are already flipping them because you always want the watch to go in the hands of people that love the watch and that's always what I want. I, I want more people posting this on social media saying I've got the watch and doing some crazy things with it because that's what I want. I want people to wear it and love it because I wear it and I love it. So that's kind of where I'm on this. We've gone online. Um, when this is live now, we have gone online. If it is sold out, and I say if because you never know, and I'm touching wood while saying it, if it's sold out, I'm sorry to everyone that this has sold out. And I, I'm and thank you so much for supporting us. And Thursday, it is on Dover Street Market, and then on the 1st of August, it goes worldwide. Thank you, George. Thank you. If you queue up for one and don't get it, you can always go down to George's and break his other arm. Yeah, no, please, please don't. <laughs> Honestly, you know, it, it's amazing the support. It's amazing what's happened. The other thing I will apologize for, and uh, Ariel, I know you're probably going to hate this, is um, my other podcast. Uh, I have another um, that is called About Something. Um, uh, the, <laughs> Sorry, other, other, there are other watch podcasts? Uh, of course, there may be. Uh, there are other watch podcasts out there. I'm oh, sorry to say this shouldn't be allowed. The the Scottish watches or, or do, do I sorry do I say anything anyway um, <laughs> on on about having time we we reviewed we did the um, Omega swatch and we talked about it yeah and I should have learned and I didn't learn and the thing is if I'd done it again that launch I would have gone down that queue with a credit card machine and given the person an individual token and said, thank you so much. And then the door should have been open. 
I should have pre-signed all the boxes and thank you for your token. Here's the watch and here's, it should have been very much instead of the bullies that came in and kicked all the people down. Now that's my learning from this is I'm an idiot and I, and I'm kind of, I'm falling on my sword and saying, I'm sorry. There was massive plan in place and every plan that goes in place, there is always a, a kind of muck up and it was a muck up. We had enough security on the on the day, quite a few security, Carnaby security was alerted and they could not handle it. And the police came in and they shut the whole thing down. Anyway, that's my little ring. I am sorry. No problem. Apology accepted. Ca- Casio might be um, wanting to make George a G-Shock cast. Maybe that would be a cool thing to do as a thank you. <laughs> Working with Casio, doing this watch, it was like, yes, um, let's do it. And I, and you know, as soon as I explained which watch I was doing and I, why I was wanted to do it, they're like, understand. We we now understand that you are a watch geek and and done the story behind it. Cool. Well, you can uh, go online and look at that, or you can probably just go on eBay and buy one off of a flipper. <laughs> um, uh, Andrew McCutcheon, and I know I'm mentioning other people, but he said to me, "We feel like we're we've been on this wonderful little boat, rowing along, and in, and being in a wonderful environment. And now a big pirate ship has come along and said, now guys, this is how how these things.' And I feel like maybe that's the case that's happened. Is we've got this kind of big Jolly Roger that's come along and gone, hey, you know, we're we're now taking over this this game." Well, go and check it out. All the information will be online and we will review Jordy's watch when he's not here next week so as we can tell everybody what we really think. Uh, Oi! Anyway, uh, we started the show by you had to come up with a brand. So what what brand have you chosen for me to insert uh, when deleting any swearing from the shows? Go on. I've got to, I've got to let David go first. Yeah, I, I was thinking about going <laughs> with something very French, like Gégère or something like that. You know, that, that, <laughs> that all, all on its own could potentially be a swear word in, in, in French. Uh, no offense to Gégère people. Um, yeah, so that's the best I could come up with. Ariel. I had no idea we were doing this, but I mean, I think that the I think the fa- randomizer, just a, a classic name, any of the old names spoken in like an accent as though it's trying to sound in the in the or, in the original French. You know, if it's the same one all the time, it's not as funny if it's just a random one. You know, it's just all of a sudden it's like Tissot. <laughs> you know, just... I, I will get Christy to record a selection. There you go. That can be used for future reference. But very George, monotone. She has to say it very monotone. <laughs> Do you know, I, 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 I hate that Ariel has once again bettered my my uh, my kind of suggestion. So I'm gonna I gonna shut up and kind of get. Thank you all very much for joining us. We don't have time to discuss what everybody's doing this week. We know that mostly George will be sitting sweating in the British heatwave, hoping that the internet doesn't crash. Yeah. But other than that, I am sure there's plenty for everybody. But George, where can people find you on the internet? Yeah, sorry, Banford Watch Department on Instagram, sitting, sweating in an office. No, sorry, did I say that? Um, no, and um, online, yeah, I think Instagram and have fun searching and you can find us on, on the internet. Anyway, thank you so much. You're welcome. Ariel, where can people find you on the internet? Read my articles on the blog2watch.com. You can find me at Ariel2Watch on Instagram and uh, these podcasts as well as the superlative podcast. Good stuff. And David. It's ABTW underscore David on Instagram. And of course, my articles are on a blog2watch.com. Oh, yeah. Excellent. And you can find me at, at RickTikTok and obviously on this podcast. 
Good stuff. Thank you very much for joining us. It's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from all of them. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye, everyone.